was scrubbing furiously at a line of grease spots which led from the stove towards the door to the dining room. That was where Henry had held the platter, tilted, as he carried the steak in yesterday. And yet, if she had warned him once about that, she had a thousand times. Warned him, and begged of him, and implored him to be careful. The children simply paid no attention to what she said. None. She might as well talk to the wind. Hot grease, too. That soaked into the wood so. She would never get it clean. She shook the surplus of water from her scrubbing brush, sat back on her heels, sprinkled cleaning powder on the bristles, the second can of cleaning powder this month, and the price gone up so, and setting her strong teeth hard, flew at the spots again, her whole body tense with determination. A sober-faced little boy in clean gingham rompers, with a dingy teddy bear in his arms, appeared at the door of the dining room behind her, looked in cautiously, surveyed his mother's quivering, energetic back for an instant, and retreated silently without being seen. She stopped breathless, dipped her hand into the pail of hot soapy water, and brought out a hemmed, substantial floor cloth, clean and whole. When, with a quick twist, she had wrung this out, she wiped the suds from the floor, and looked sharply at the place she had been scrubbing. The grease spots still showed, implacably dark against the white wood about them. Her face clouded, she gave a smothered exclamation and seized the scrubbing brush again. In the next room, a bell tinkled. The telephone. It always rang when it would bother her most. She dropped her brush, stood up with one powerful thrust of her body, and went to wipe her hands on the roller towel, which hung smooth and well-ironed by the sink. The bell rang again. Exasperated by its unreasonableness, she darted across the dining room and snatched the receiver from the hook. Yes, this is Mrs. Knapp. Oh, it's you, Mattie. Oh, all about as usual here, thank you. Helen has one of her awful colds, but not so I have to keep her at home. And Henry's upset again that chronic trouble with his digestion. The doctor doesn't seem to do him any good. No, my eczema is no worse. On my arm now. How could I keep it perfectly quiet? I have to use it. You know I have everything to do. And anyhow, I don't know that it's any worse to use it. I keep it bandaged, of course. It'll be an awful relief to me when he starts to school with the others. Perhaps the teachers can do something with him. I don't envy them. Mercy! No, Matty! How can you think of such a thing? I never can take time for outings. I was right in the midst of scrubbing the kitchen floor when you rang up. I'm way behind in everything. I always am. There's not a room in the house that's fit to look at. And I've got to make some of those special health flour biscuits for supper. The doctor said to keep trying them for Henry. How can I go out more and rest more? You know what there is to do. Somebody's got to do it. Yes, I know that's what the doctor keeps telling me. I'd just like to have him spend a day in my place and see how he thinks I could manage. 
nobody understands. People talk as though I worked the way I do just to amuse myself. What else can I do? It's all got to be done, hasn't it? No, no, it, it's nice of you to suggest it, but I couldn't manage it. It would just waste your time to come round this way and stop. It's simply out of the question for me to think of going. Well, thank you just the same. I appreciate your thinking of me. I'm sure I hope you have a lovely time. An ominous silence in the house greeted her as she hung up the receiver and turned away. What could Stephen be up to now? She had not heard a sound from him for some time. That was always alarming from Stephen. Stephen! She called quickly and stood listening for an answer, her fine dark brows drawn together tensely. The house waited emptily with her for the answer which did not come. Stephen! she shouted, turning so that her voice would carry up the stairs. Tick, 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 whispered the little mantelpiece clock hurriedly in the silence. She was rarely quiet enough to hear that sound. But when it did come to her ears, it always said, pressingly, So much to do, so much to do, so much to do. She looked at it and frowned. Half past two, already. And that floor only half scrubbed. What possessed people to call you up on the telephone at all hours? Didn't anybody realize what she had to do? Stephen, she called irritably, running upstairs. Was there anything more exasperating than to have a child not answer when you called? Helen and Henry had never dreamed of that when they had been his age. It was another one of his naughty tricks, a new one. He had a new one every day. And he always knew just when was the worst possible time to try one on. The water in her scrubbing pail was cooling off all the time and she had just filled up the reservoir of the kitchen stove with cold so that she couldn't have another pail full of hot for an hour. Stephen! The thought of the cooling water raised the heat of her resentment against the child. She looked hastily into the spotless bathroom, the bedroom where Stephen's smooth white cot stood by his parents' bed, into Henry's little dormer-windowed cubbyhole, there, Henry had left his shoes in the middle of the floor again. Into Helen's room, where a great bias fold in that badly made bed deepened the line between her eyes. Still no Stephen. It was all too much. With all she had to do, slaving day and night to keep the house nice for them all, who never thought of appreciating it, never any rest or change, her hair getting thinner all the time, simply coming out by handfuls. And she had had such beautiful hair. So many things to do this afternoon. While Mattie was out enjoying herself riding in a new car. And now everything stopped because of this naughty trick of Stephen's of not answering. Stephen, she screamed, her face darkly flushed. Tell me where you are this minute. In that tiny house, he must be quite within earshot. But the tiny house sent back not the faintest murmur of response. The echo of her screaming voice died away to a dead silence that closed in on her menacingly and laid on her feverish, angry heart the cold touch of terror. 
Suppose that Stephen were not hiding from her. Suppose he had stepped out into the yard a moment and had been carried away. There had been those rough-looking men loitering in the streets yesterday, tramps from the railroad yards. Oh, and the railroad yards were so close. Mrs. Elmore's little Harry killed there by a freight train. Or the river. Standing there in the dark upper hall, she saw Stephen's little hands clutching wildly at nothing and going down under that dreadful cold brown water. Stephen, her baby, her darling, the strongest and brightest of them all, her favorite. She flew down the stairs and out the front door into the icy February air, calling wildly, Stephen! Stevie! Stevie, darling! But the dingy street was quite empty, save for a grocer's wagon standing in front of one of the little clapboarded houses. She ran down to this and asked the boy driving it, Have you seen Stephen since you turned into the street? You know, little Stephen Knapp. No, I ain't seen him, said the boy, looking up and down the street with her. A thin old woman came out on the front porch of the house next to the Knapps. You haven't seen Stephen, have you, Mrs. Anderson? called Stephen's mother. No, I haven't seen him, Mrs. Knapp. I don't believe he'd go out this cold a day. He's just hiding on you somewhere. Children will do that if you let them. If he were my child, Mrs. Knapp, I'd cure him of that trick before he so much as started it. By the shingle method, too. I never used to let my children get ahead of me. Once you let them get the start on you, with some. Mrs. Knapp's anxious face reddened with resentment. She went back to her own house and shut the door behind her hard. Inside, she began a systematic search of every possible hiding place, racing from one to another, now hot with anger, now cold with fear, sick, sick with uncertainty. She did not call the child now. She hunted him out silently and swiftly. But there was no Stephen in the house. He must have gone out. Even if he were safe, he would be chilled to the bone by this time. And suppose he were not safe. If only they didn't live in such an abominable part of the town, so near the railroad yards and the slums. Her anger dropped away. She forgot the barb planted in her vanity by old Mrs. Anderson. As she flung on her wraps, she was shivering from head to foot. She was nothing but loving, suffering, fearing motherhood. If she had seen her Stephen struggling in the arms of a dozen big hoodlums, she would have flown at them like a tigress, armed only with teeth and claws and her passionate heart. Her hand on the doorknob, she thought of one last place she had not searched, the dark hole under the stairs. She turned to that and flung back the curtain. Stephen was there, his teddy bear clutched in his arms, silent, his round face grim and hard, scowling defiantly at her. When Mother was scrubbing a floor was always a good time for Stephen. She forgot all about you for a while. And oh, what a weight fell from off your shoulders when Mother forgot about you for a while. How perfectly lovely it was just to walk around in the bedroom and know that she wouldn't come to the door any minute and look at you hard and say, 
What are you doing, Stephen? And add, how did you get your rompers so dirty? Stephen stepped about and about in the room, silently, drawing long breaths. The bed, the floor, the bureau, everything looked different to you in those times when Mother forgot about you for a minute. It occurred to Stephen that maybe it was a rest to them, too, to have Mother forget about them and stop dusting and polishing and pushing them around. They looked sort of peaceful, the way he felt. He nodded his head to the bed and looked with sympathy at the bureau. The lower drawer was a little open. There was something white showing. Mother didn't allow you to open her bureau drawers, but that looked like it was. He pulled the drawer open and snatched out his teddy bear. His dear, dear teddy bear. So that was where she had hidden it. He sat down on the floor, holding the bear tightly in his arms, wave after wave of relief washing over him in a warm, relaxing flood. All his life long, ever since he could remember, more than three years now, he had gone to sleep with his big teddy in his arms. The sight of that faithful pointed face, like no other face, the friendly staring black eyes, the familiar feel of the dear woolly body close to him. They were saturated with a thousand memories of peace, with a thousand associations of drowsy comfort and escape from trouble. Days when he had been punished and then shut, screaming furiously, into the bedroom to cry it out, he had gone about blindly feeling for Teddy through his tears, and, exhausted by his shrieking and kicking and anger, had often fallen asleep on the floor, Teddy in his arms, exercising that mystic power of consolation. The groove in Stephen's brain was worn deep and true. Teddy meant quiet and rest and safety, and Stephen needed all he could get of those elements in his stormy little life, made up so much of it of fierce struggles against forces stronger than he. The little boy sat on the floor of the quiet room, surrounded by the quiet furniture, resting itself visibly, and hugged his recovered treasure tightly to him. His round cheek pressed hard against the dingy white wool of the stuffed muzzle. He loved his teddy. He was lost in unfathomable peace to have found him again. All the associations of tranquility, the only tranquility in Stephen's life, which had accumulated about Teddy, rose in impalpable clouds about the child. What the smell of incense and the murmur of prayers are to the believer, what the first whiff of his pipe to the dog-tired woodsman, what a green-shaded lamp over a quiet study table to the scholar. All that and more was Teddy to Stephen. His energetic, pugnacious little face grew dreamy, his eyes wide and gentle. For a moment, not only had Mother forgotten about him, but he had forgotten about Mother. Was it only four days ago that this new, bitter phase of Stephen's struggle for existence had come up? Mother had taken him to call on a lady. They had walked and walked and walked, Stephen's short legs twinkling fast beside Mother's long, strong stride, his arm almost pulled out of the socket by the firm grasp on his mittened hand by which she drew him along at her pace. 
He had been breathless when they arrived, and filled with that ruffled, irritable, nervous fatigue which walking with mother always gave him. Then, after long and intolerably dull conversation, during which Stephen had been obliged to sit still and don't touch things, the lady had showed them that hideous, pitiable, tragic wreck which she had said was a washed teddy bear. It suddenly occurred to me, Mrs. Knapp, that the amount of dirt and microbes that creature had been accumulating for two years must be beyond words. Molly drags it around on the floor as like as not. Yes, just like Stephen with his teddy, Stephen's mother said. And once I thought of it, it made me shudder. So I just put it in the tub and washed it. You see, it came out all right. She held up the dreadful remains by one limp, lumpy arm, and both of the mothers looked at it with interest and approval. Stephen's horror had been unspeakable. If mother did that to his teddy, his teddy, who was like a part of himself, the fierce fighting look had come into Stephen's eyes, and under the soft curves of rounded baby flesh he set his jaw. But he had said nothing to mother as they tore back across town, Mother in a hurry about getting her supper on time. Mother prided herself on never yet having set a meal on the table a single minute late. He said nothing, partly because he had no breath left over from his wild leaps from curb to paving and from paving to curb, and partly because he had not the slightest idea how to express the alarm, the bleeding grief within him. Stephen's life so far had developed in him more capacity for screaming and kicking and biting than for analyzing and expressing his feelings in words. That night, Mother had taken Teddy away, treacherously, while Stephen was asleep. The next morning, she announced that now she thought of the dirt and microbes on Teddy, it made her shudder, and as soon as she found some time, she would wash him and give him back to Stephen. Stephen had been filled with a silent frenzy every time he thought of it. But now he had found Teddy, held him again in his arms, that had ached for emptiness these three nights past. Stephen's hot little warrior's heart softened to love and quiet as he sat there. And presently there came to his calmer mind the plan to go to tell Mother about it. If he told her about it, maybe she wouldn't take Teddy away and spoil him. He went downstairs to find Mother, his lower lip trembling a little with his hope and fear, as Mother had not seen it since Stephen was a little tiny baby, nor did she see it this time. He went to the kitchen door and looked in, and instantly knew, through a thousand familiar channels, that it would do no good to tell Mother then, or ever. The kitchen was full, full to suffocation, with waves of revolt and exasperation and haste and furious determination, which clashed together in the air above that quivering, energetic figure kneeling on the floor. They beat savagely on the anxious face of the little boy. He recognized them from the many times he had felt them and drew back from them. An instant reflection of revolt and determination lurid on his own face. How could he have thought even for a moment of telling Mother? He turned away, clutching Teddy, and looked about him wildly. 
All around him was the inexorable prison of his warm, clean, well-ordered home. No escape, no appeal, no way to protect what was dear to him. There fell upon him that most sickening and poisonous of human emotions, the sensation of utter helplessness before physical violence. Mother would take Teddy away and do whatever she pleased with him, because she was stronger than Stephen. The brute forces of jungle life yelled loud in Stephen's ears and mocked at his helplessness. But Stephen was no Henry or Helen, to droop, to shrink and quail. He fled to his own refuge, the only one which left him a shred of human dignity. Fierce, hopeless, endless resistance. The determination of every brave, despairing heart, confronted with hopeless odds, at least to sell his safety dear, to fight as long as his strength held out, never, never to surrender of his own accord. Over something priceless, over what made him Stephen, the little boy stood guard savagely with the only weapons he had. First of all, he would hide. He would hold Teddy in his arms as long as he could and hide, and let Mother call him all she wanted to, while he braced himself to endure with courage the tortures which would inevitably follow, the scolding, which Mother called talking to him, the beating invisible waves of fury flaming at him from all over Mother, which made Stephen suffer more than the physical blows which always ended things, for by the time they arrived he was usually so rigid with hysteria himself that he did not feel them much. Under the stairs, she would not think of that for a long time. He crept in over the immaculately clean floor, drew the curtains back of him, and sat upright, cross-legged, holding Teddy to his breast with all his might, dry-eyed, scowling, a magnificent sulfurous conflagration of Promethean flames blazing in his little heart.